giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the giant robot smashing into other giant robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen. And I'm your other host, Chad Pytel. And today we're rejoined by Michael Shealy from Nurse One One. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This week, we're talking with the guests about marketing. One of the things we, Lindsay and I discussed on our episode is that marketing can mean a lot of different things and covers a lot of different areas. So I'm curious, like when you think about marketing, especially for the companies that you've started, where do you start and what does it mean to you? That's a, that's a great question. I actually don't know where the line blurs between marketing and research and product. I'd even say finance is mixed into that. So I don't know. Marketing to me is a whole mix of different things. But I think based on the different stages of the startup, it takes on a, a completely different function. So uh, I, I think there's a lot, lot to dive into the topic of marketing. I love that answer, actually. I think that's a pretty healthy way to approach it, to see it as something that is blurred into a lot of different functions versus something that happens in a silo. Yeah. I was telling you guys earlier that as I was creating notes for this topic of marketing and, and specifically trying to stay on the subject of startups, I had a hard time of defining what focus I should be talking about and what I should leave to maybe another topic because you know, the way I've always looked at it in a company, it's always just about solving a problem. And it's not about marketing in the terms of advertising, which I think is what most people think about. And for me, it's, it's who's the customer? What's the problem that they have? I, I think selfishly for me, I want to solve a problem that reaches a whole bunch of different people. So how big is the market and how can we reach them? And that's usually the place that I start and mixed in there is marketing because you can solve the problem for everybody. And if they never know about your solution, you're not actually going to end up solving the problem. So it is a part of the problem of solving a problem. Marketing has to be a part of, of that whole process. Otherwise, you know, the person that really needs your solution isn't going to know about it. Or the person who has, has used your product and has had a great result and loves it, isn't going to have the channels to share it with other people, which I, I, I think is a, a very important part of any startup that's creating a solution is how do you get your customers to do your marketing for you? Mm -hmm. um, so like all, all these things are things that I think about when I'm starting a company, when it's the early phases of a company. And I think marketing in the broad sense of the term falls into all of that. I think for me, another one of those clear cut marketing, early marketing things seems to be the brand as well. That kind of you reach a point very early on where you have to make some sort of decision around, you know, what is this thing called? What are we called? And, and how are we talking about it? Does that ring true for you? I think I actually go the, the opposite way. I've a couple of companies that I've been involved with, we went right out of the gates with a brand. And as we started learning what the market really wanted, the solution that we were building, the branding that we originally went out with didn't fit anymore. And so there's this big challenge within the company. And, and one specific company that I can think of that this was a huge discussion constantly was Runkeeper. We were branching out of just being a running app. And 
at one point, most of uh, our users weren't even using us for running. They were using us for walking and, and cycling. Actually, together, equated as more of the use of the product than running. But yet, we were still called Run Keeper. And so we always had this idea of how do we rebrand and how do we change it. But when you have millions of users using your products, suddenly doing a big rebrand is a big cost. And so the way that I always look at things now is let's figure out what the problem is. Let's figure out what the customer, who the customers are, how we're going to reach them. And then once we start to have a coherent idea of what this is, we work on what that brand should be. And, and that's actually what we did at Nurse One One is for the first I think it was like two years, we didn't have the brand Nurse One One live. We would launch products with different branding, different names. Mm. And it wasn't until we really found out what the core asset of our product was and what really resonated with patients and what was the really valuable part of the healthcare industry that we could help bring into the digital world, and that was nurses. We knew right away that the nurse name had to be a part of our brand. And so doing all that research up front allowed us to figure out what it is our branding should be. And that's when we started really focusing on our branding. I'd say we didn't start focusing on our branding until this year when we brought on uh, head of marketing in, in Bailey Carroll, where she literally sat down and looked through all the messaging. How are our customers interacting with us? And, and then started really creating a blueprint for how we would lay out the brand of Nurse One One. Before you brought her on, did you work with any consultants or advisors that were kind of marketing specific? Yeah, we, we had a chief marketing officer. And, and for the first few years of the company, we focused on specifically paid advertising as a way of researching the market. And mm -hmm. his background was paid marketing, working on Google, really understanding how to target people who are in the moment searching and what key terms they're looking on, which key terms resonate with them when they come to our website and we'll convert. And a lot of that work was more, I would say, research. You know, the paid marketing wasn't really going to scale for our business model. We don't have the margins to really go deep on paid marketing on Google. It's going to get really expensive really quickly. But what that oh, does totally. allow you to do is instantly inject yourself into the flow of customers. And for us, those customers are patients and there's stats out there that say 80% of all patients go to Google first before they even think about calling their doctor. There was a study done by UPenn that said 50% of patients that are in an emergency room have been searching on Google for an entire week about their symptoms that they're having before they went to the emergency room. And what that type of information allows us to do is it allows us to get to these patients really early in their journey and have a conversation with them. And that's like the greatest part of our product is that it's a conversation product where they're having a conversation with a nurse. And in there, we can really figure out what is it that is preventing these patients from going to the care that they should have. And ultimately, what we found is that healthcare has a really big marketing problem. The discovery phase, the research phase, all of these phases up before the decision-making point in healthcare are completely ignored. And building a product that gets you there early and you can actually see why patients are thinking that they should go to the emergency room for a cough, you know, pre-COVID, I should say. But why, why do they think a cough 
should be where they go to the emergency room. Now, what's preventing them from using telemedicine or any of the number of digital solutions that are out there or even a local urgent care or calling their doctor? What is making them think that the emergency room is the best choice for them? And that really was the research that allowed us to start figuring out what it is Nurse 11 should be, what the branding should be, what the product should be, and where our focus should be as a, as a company. Were those early experiments you were doing, did you just pick a name that made sense and not worry too much about it, pick something quickly, make sure that it looked okay, that sort of thing? We did a couple of things. I mean, there was the name of the company that we incorporated with, which mm-hmm. is called Videwell. And that was a combination of what domain names were available and then <laughs> trying to come up with something that at least theoretically to me made sense. So it was wellness. Uh, we wanted people to be well. We were thinking of providers in, in a less polished way. So the idea of a provider, if you take out the pro part, makes it more casual, more more engaging to a patient, um, more willing to interact with the provider. So it was that vibe piece and, and well. And that's how we came up with the name of the company. So some of the products we were launching were under that branding. Other ones, it was just a pure, okay, we're going to test the conversation aspect of the product. So let's get you know, something that has the word conversate in it, you know, nurse mm-hmm. conversation or, or healthcare conversation. You know, we were thinking of maybe this is like a help desk. Maybe the word help is interesting on, on this aspect of what we're going after. So we had like helpdeskforyourhealth.com. You know, these almost like generic sounding names yeah. that weren't ever designed to be the brand of the company, but more to test the interaction that we were looking for and really to get that feedback from the customers that we were looking to serve on, on what resonates the most with them and what our eventual product and branding should be. And when it came to like look and feel and colors, were you just pulling from established healthcare patterns? No, we were just pulling from whatever <laughs> patterns we had available. <laughs> yeah, the, the deep thought of the branding, and, and a lot of that stuff is very important, but the deep thought of the branding that we were using was, was basically what we had. Yep. You know, if we were targeting people who had kids, we would put a picture of a kid on there. The, the number of tests that we were running, it was more these higher level type of learnings that we were looking for than than the type of learnings that you get when you change that type of messaging and branding. But it was, you know, you can't get it perfect in each one of these tests and in really the, the important pieces to get them out fast, get some learning and then move on to the next learning that you need to do. In the episode with Lindsay and I, we talked about how a lot of companies really spend a lot of time and money on branding right up front. And we felt like generally that's a, a bad thing to do. And I love how you've taken your learnings over the years, starting multiple companies and refined it into this sort of extreme experimentation where where it sounds like you really put that off quite a bit. And I think a lot of people can learn from that and show Mm -hmm. that there are other ways of doing it where you're not investing so much only to have to redo it later when you actually learn what your product is doing for people. And I, I think, and, and this is you know for any young entrepreneurs out there that are listening to this and thinking maybe that's what I should do is spend two years testing stuff. Um, <laughs> there's a luxury that, you know, at some point I'll, I'll try to figure out how to create this luxury for every entrepreneur that wants to start a company. But unfortunately, most people don't have the luxury of having two years of, of researching a product before they launch. And 
I can actually think of a couple of companies that launched right around the time that we did and just went full throttle on one idea. And, and some of them were hugely successful. And in the world of venture, sometimes that that is the better strategy of just, you know, you are one of a hundred companies that a, a venture capital firm is investing in. So it's okay to go all in on one branding and one idea from the front. And if it fails, you know, you're out of luck, but the venture capital firm that backed you has another company that did it and now is successful. So it's not necessarily the wrong strategy to go all in. It's just, you have to think of for you specifically and what you're looking to get out of the company that you're starting, if it works for you and if you have the means to be able to do that. I think those are the important aspects of thinking about what strategy you're going to go out of the gate with. Yeah, I think it's important for people to hear that it is possible to try out different names or that the name can change and it's going to be okay. There are certain aspects of marketing, I think more on the brand side, that can seem very intimidating because at the end of the day, there's no real clear cut answer. You know, you're kind of doing the best with the information you have and making a go of it. So especially right. in those those early days, having flexibility is okay and changing is okay. It'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, look at Google. Google tried to rebrand to Alphabet, right, and have different companies. And I think they might have gone back to being Google. I, I don't even know where Alphabet falls in their branding strategy. But, you know, even the big guys that have enormous amount of resources and have been around for a while are still contemplating branding and sometimes making drastic changes to call themselves alphabet. You mentioned that a big part of your marketing in the beginning was focused on driving users into the experiments with paid advertising. And you sort of offhandedly mentioned that the financials don't work to be able to like make that your strategy. You need a word of mouth. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. So you look at the costs of acquiring a person, right? A customer off of, of Google. And if you're really good at optimizing, you know, what ads, time of day, what key terms you should be targeting, you know, you can get your acquisition costs pretty low, but then your product is still going to have a funnel. So how many of them sign up and how many of them actually become a customer and, and pay you some sort of money or, or in some in some way that you get revenue from from that acquisition. And then you have your costs. So then you have a profit margin that you're actually making from that acquisition uh, that you can then put again back into advertising. And the equation that everybody should be doing when they're doing this paid marketing, if they think that this is their marketing channel, is to make sure that you're spending less money than you're making which sounds really, you know, obvious, but, but I think when people get into the mix of this, it's like, we're going to build up our customer base. And over time, we're going to have this very big lifetime value of these patients or these customers. And so we're okay spending $20 to get a customer that right now only pays us $3 in profit because eventually we'll figure out how to make money from them. And unless you have, a parent who's an LP in a very large fund, I don't think you're going to have the resources to be able to grow a company that big if you're not making your money back, not only ever, but also in a short period of time so that you get that money back and you can put it back into your marketing. I think too many companies think that they can just 
put their ad somewhere and it's just going to create a whole bunch of customers coming into their product. But at the end of the day, these markets are, are hard to penetrate. If there was something very lucrative by paid ads, there might already be competitors there. You know, when we started doing this, we noticed that there was nobody else doing paid marketing in healthcare. And it was very inexpensive to acquire these patients who were searching. And everybody else was doing SEO and we were doing paid advertising. And so we were getting very cheap. But when you looked at the profit margin we were getting and how much money we could actually make once the conversion was done, it just never was going to make sense for us to continue that channel as a sole channel of growth. But we were getting hundreds of patients coming in. We would do a test and within an hour, we would have 80 patients come through our product. And, and the learnings that we were getting from these tests were invaluable to the company. But we had to shut them off at the end of an hour because, you know, we would have ran out of money really quickly if we were letting them run. So that's that's how we, we always viewed them as short term. Let's learn a whole lot. We always had some aspirations that maybe we could optimize this thing and turn it into a real channel. But we never got even remotely close to the numbers that would have let us be able to do that. Have you focused on SEO at all? We have. We have a blog on our on nurse11.com and it was actually written by one of our nurses at first. Just wrote a couple of articles and we were getting traffic from from those articles. And we started getting feedback actually on the B2B side that those articles were great. And I remember specifically being in a meeting where it must have been uh, on his phone where a, a customer, an executive at, at a very large company was looking at our website and discovered our our blog and he just outwardly laughed and like recited one of the lines that's in in one of our articles and it's just these like very casual type articles about healthcare written by a nurse mm-hmm. and that is a very non medically sounding you know webmd tries to be a little bit more consumer sounding but it's still very clinical and ours, our articles use emojis. You know, they, right. They're a lot more casual. And we get a whole lot more traffic because of that different type of... And I would say that this falls into our branding. It's that different messaging, that different wording that we use on those blogs that really resonates with a lot of people. And so we actually started doubling down on that. And we started really shifting on creating more and more content, finding content that's relative to today but also looking at things that are always going to be relative. You know, we're getting a lot of patients coming in that are talking about a specific topic. So let's update that content that we have out there. Let's put out an article about that. It can be used for the nurses who are chatting with patients to link to. So if they want more information, here's an article that you can read more about. It also works as SEO. So we get a lot of traffic that's constantly increasing. Uh, We always monitor how much traffic we're getting because of those articles. And just seeing what is really resonating with patients on our blog and then trying to figure out how to put that into the product or vice versa. Have you tried other types of content marketing? We've been playing around a lot on Instagram. So one of the things that we've been doing is taking the content of those blogs. And when those are successful on our blog for SEO, we'll take that content and put it in a factual way that works on Instagram. And that's getting a lot of volume. You know, tracking that, whether or not it's converting to an actual paid chat or a customer is is challenging at, at this stage. But we do know that it's adding to 
the branding of our company. Uh, when we're in a B2B deal, like the conversation we're having with that executive when he was laughing, reading reading our blog, and then instantly turn that into you know the second meeting with that company. This stuff is helping people see the true value of our product. And on Instagram, there's just another channel where we can show why it's really important that we have this enormous network of nurses behind our product. Why is it important for the voice of a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant or an RN to be a part of a digital health care that's, that's emerging, right? So all these different platforms have all these digital solutions. Everybody's talking about AI. Our sell to the market is you should have nurses a part of, of the experience for patients because they are so great at relating to patients and helping them through their journey of your product. The blog and Instagram is just another way of allowing us to shine through all the clutter that's out there and say, like, look at this amazing content we have. And it's there because it's the voice of these nurses. And that's what you should have in your digital product. You also, uh, if I recall, used some insights from the product to write a white paper? Yeah, we, we definitely did. We, we've always known, even from the beginning, the you know, original idea of starting this company was to keep people out of the emergency room. And so that, that experience that I had and my wife had when our daughter had open heart surgery at, at three months old, we brought her home and, and we would go on Google every time there was a temperature or, you know, she was coughing and we would drive all the way back into Boston to bring her to the emergency room. And we had a friend, Kim, who's a nurse practitioner. I said, why don't you just text me before you go, before you go onto the internet, even just send me a message and ask me what you're concerned about. And she would help us understand where we should go and really kept us out of the emergency room more times than, than I'd like to admit. And so that was the beginning of, of this company was how do we scale Kim and how do we allow people to navigate their care options in this digital world that can scare people into making the wrong decisions. And because we built it off of that original idea, we always would see patients that came in expressing that they're about to go to the emergency room. And then once they get more information about the different options that they have, you know, more appropriate places to turn to for care that are cheaper, faster, and maybe even more local that actually have the resources to treat what they're worried about. You know, that was always a part of our product. But when we really started to scale, we had enough data that we could actually analyze this and, and have some statistical significance to our assumptions of what our product was doing. And that white paper uh, we published earlier this, this year on our blog and, and have on our website. And that really dives into the diversions of the emergency room. We saw, if I can remember off the top of my head, about 20% of all patients that come through Nurse 101 think that they should go to the emergency room for their concern. And about 95% of those patients at the end of the conversation realize that the emergency room is not the appropriate choice for them, that there's better choices. We divert 20 and 30% of all patients to telemedicine that come into our product. So that white paper was taking the data that we're seeing now that it's a pretty large amount and really highlighting exactly how effective this product is at lowering the costs for patients and then improving the experience for them as well. So how have you taken that white paper and then tried to put it in front of more people and that kind of thing? 
that's the challenge of, of our company. Um, so we're, <laughs> we've been in the process of doing that. So at first I was just like emailing it to different contacts that I had. We posted, uh, I think on LinkedIn, the white paper itself, or a link to the white paper. We've now put it as part of our onboarding for our B2B part of our site. So if you want to read the white paper or sign up, then we'll email it to you. And, and then that pulls them into the flow of, of onboarding for our sales piece that we're building. But really getting this stuff out there is hard. You know, we worked on that white paper at the beginning of this year, thinking that the world would go back to normal fairly quickly. Uh, keeping people out of the emergency room right now is actually not a challenge. Nobody wants to go to the emergency room when they think they might catch a deadly viral disease if they go. Right. But, you know, some of the things that we are seeing is that the digital health is growing very rapidly. And how can we leverage our nurses to help people get the care that they need when they don't necessarily want to go get the care that they need. So it, it's less about diverting people away from the emergency room and it's more about educating them about these different telemedicine solutions that are out there, scaling telemedicine solutions. Now we have this enormous network of almost 1500 nurse practitioners and physician assistants. How do we leverage that network to help telemedicine companies scale? So the, the shift that we've had kind of resonates with some of the points that are in that white paper, but it's not so much about diverting away in the cost mm-hmm. savings that you're getting from the emergency room. It's more about the education piece. So now we kind of have to go back and think like, all right, how do we leverage now the data we have to highlight how effective we are at scaling these other solutions uh, and being a partner in, in digital health companies that are, that are trying to scale and, and meet these patients before they, they go off to the emergency room when they don't have to. So in a way, could you say Nurse 11 is a marketing tool? You're helping telemedicine companies scale. You're helping them acquire new patients. It's sort of, I would say. <laughs> I think there's a couple of aspects of marketing and there's a couple of pieces in healthcare too that, you know, helping companies get new customers in many cases is not necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not built around helping our partners get more patients specifically. And this is something that we, you know, as our mission, as the core of our business is not about increasing utilization for any one service. It's about helping the patient. Mm-hmm. So if a patient is appropriate to a, a specific type of test to go get, to find out if they should seek more care, we're more than willing to, to build our product to help educate patients on this type of thing. We are very specifically making sure that we're not building a product that's just going to get people you know, not to specifically point out an industry, but we're not going to like point everybody towards an erectile dysfunction drug just because they landed on our website. There's many different ways of educating patients and and driving them to the correct level of care that they need uh, without really being a marketing tool for any of our partners. And and that's a, a very specific distinction, I think, in healthcare that anybody who's jumping into healthcare has to be aware of the power that I think is out there on the internet right now of driving people using all the digital marketing tools that are out there in every other industry. When you apply it to healthcare, you really have to be careful about what you're doing. It sounds like then thinking back to previous conversations that we've had, this ties in strongly to the concept of value-based care. And I believe also patient engagement, where you're thinking about helping patients proactively take care of their, their wellness and their healthcare 
Is that a fair way of saying it? Or could you speak a little bit about that? Sure. I'll use a program that we're involved with now that finally we can we can speak publicly about because it's launched. But United Healthcare has a program called Well at Home. And if you go to wellathome.com, you can see more about it. And this is for their Medicare Advantage uh, members. They know that a lot of these patients, they're older. They're very afraid of going to the doctor right now. Getting a prescription for Tamiflu is going to be a challenge. It's only effective in the first couple of days of when you start getting symptoms of the flu. How do you know if it's a flu or if it's coronavirus? There's a lot of different questions there. So the confusion of navigating these patients to the proper level of care is, is just unbelievably heightened right now in this environment. And this program, which I just think is, is it an amazing program? I wish my health insurance had it as, as well. But this is allowing members of their plan to get a kit that arrives at their home uh, before they have any symptoms. They just sign up for this program. The kit arrives, and in the kit is basically tools that allow them to either start getting treatment for the flu ahead of time, uh, right away, or they can get a test for coronavirus. And this kit sits in their house, and when they get a symptom, what they need to do is call a number, and they'll get a number, and they'll have somebody call them back that's either a physician, a PA, or a nurse practitioner who will call this patient and help guide them through the steps that they should take of whether or not they should start the medication that's in the kit, which is a Tamiflu medication, whether or not they should start the coronavirus test, and really other other things that they can find out whether or not they should be calling their doctor or going to the emergency room and helping them navigate right away. When patients call that number, it is being routed through Nurse 11 and the providers who are calling them back are getting alerts through Nurse 11 and a majority of the providers on this platform are actually our, our nurse practitioners and our physician assistants who work for a provider group that we've onboarded all of our nurses onto. And this is available in almost every state in the country. And this gets to the challenge of marketing. There's zero places that you will see our name, our branding within this program. I don't even know if United Healthcare knows that we're a part of this program, <laughs> but this is allowing us to really get our network of nurses working in this fashion. It's allowing us to get an understanding of this of this industry. Uh, we're working with a, a company called SteadyMD that has provider groups around the country. It's allowing us to work with them so that we can then start adding on other programs that we're also working on so that they can leverage our nurses, they can leverage our software our nurses can become part of their provider groups so that there's medical oversight and that meets all the regulations for providing a prescription. And this is really an essence of where we're going as a company is leveraging this product to not only help people before they get care, but working within these programs that are underneath insurance that are really helping people get better care. Uh, and eventually we'll figure a way how to you know, use this program to get program number one and number two in, in the sense of our marketing. But, you know, our, our mission is to help patients. So the marketing of our brand sort of takes a second step for us to first help in this type of crisis that we're having, but then to get an understanding of how we can actually add value. And then we'll, again, figure out the branding and the marketing once, once we've established really how these programs work. I'm excited that you can finally talk about that. Uh, <laughs> this, this is actually the first time publicly yet. You know, this, by, by the, you know, this, this is launched. It's been a challenge for us because we have the ability to market that we're doing this. 
but we didn't want to be too premature with it. And, and I don't even think we're still going to like, like we're not going to be running ads saying that we're like powering well at home or that we're helping with this program. You know, it's more of when we're talking to, you know, the next customer or the next customer, we can point them to this website and explain to them what we're doing so that they have confidence that we're able to do this stuff at great scale. Right. But it, it's really a challenge. I think in this space, we see other companies that are using, and I wouldn't say using, but but in a way it comes off that way, that they're using this pandemic as a way of like heightening just how important they are or, you know, using it as an excuse to have a marketing campaign. And mm-hmm. it just leaves a weird feeling in my stomach when I see it. And we would rather focus on solving the problem and then later figuring out how to allow our business to grow. And so that's been the sort of the challenge of, do we state that we're in this? Do we not say that we're doing this? That's sort of the challenge with marketing, I think, in healthcare is, is really understanding, like, how is this going to be interpreted to people? I think it's important that no matter what industry you're in, you're conscious of that. Obviously, it's heightened in healthcare. But I think it's so easy for marketing to come off as really inauthentic or trying to capitalize on something or, you know, just not resonating And maybe it goes back all the way to where you started, which is if you're letting the needs of your users really drive what your product is, then it will be authentic as opposed to (laughs) the opposite of that. Yeah, I agree. You know, at the end of the day, I have investors now who want to see this be a huge success. But at the same time, I know these investors are investors that we allowed to be a part of this because they believe in the mission. And so we'll have opportunities where I just kind of do this like on Slack, which is where we all communicate now. I'll just write like YOLO. And, and YOLO to me is like, this is probably a business mistake, but mm-hmm. like, I need to sleep at night <laughs> and I need to do the right thing. So you only live once. And, and if this is a bad business decision, I'll, I'll let it be because we have to do what's right. And in this particular case, you mentioned it's not even United Healthcare that is your direct customer. So you're actually working through another party. Yeah, we, we're like yeah. the subcontractor of the subcontractor of the <laughs> subcontractor. Yeah, it, United Healthcare might know of us, uh, but there's a company mm-hmm. called TruePill that is actually leading this effort. And Let's Get Checked is another one that is also part of this. Uh, and then SteadyMD is, is working with TruePill to power the, the telemedicine and then we came in because we had this enormous network of nurses and a platform that allowed us to alert them when there was a need so that we could figure out exactly which nurse needs to get alerted at that time based off of the state that the patient's coming in, the program that they're coming through, and being able to pull all of that off. So it's, mm-hmm. it's been this very big effort with a lot of big companies that are quickly growing, coming together and, and figuring out how to do this in a very short period of time as well. And so that has been a challenge. Um, the communication of, you know, within a company is hard, the communication with a whole bunch of different partners and moving pieces, you know, during a pandemic, trying to help the pandemic has really been a, a big challenge. It's, it's been a lot of sleepless nights and, and weekends plowing through this to get it live. But at the end of the day, we're now seeing patients calling that number. And every time that alert goes off that another patient is coming through as this thing just starts, you know, flu season hasn't even really started in the U.S., but just seeing it already get started to, to work now is just hits home as a team of like, this is why we're, we're doing what we're doing. I'd love to hear the story of how you ended up with your head of marketing. 
you know, what was going on in the company? What were you looking for? How'd you do it? I, I know that's a struggle a lot of founders have uh, around finding the right fit for a head of marketing. Yeah, that's a good question. We we had a moment in the company where we knew the direction that we were heading in finally. We had just rebranded to Nurse One One and there was no skill set within the company of someone that could take over the messaging that we were going forward with. And so I knew we needed to have someone on the team to fill that gap. And so we ran a process of finding someone to do our marketing in that sense and build our brand. And, you know, I did the normal channels where I created a job request on LinkedIn, you know, AngelList, started interviewing candidates. Uber had just laid off a whole bunch of people. And I remember going through the spreadsheet that was going around and I went, well, who's in Boston? You know, location actually mattered back in those days. And I went, who's in Boston that just got laid off from Uber? You know, is it an engineer? Is there, you know, some talent there? And Bailey name was on there she was in boston and she was doing their marketing and i actually reached out to her and she just got married she was going to go away on a honeymoon and then i think she was at jury duty at the time so we ran this like marketing process in the background and i kind of went okay that would be like amazing if we could get the person who ran the brand of launching uber eats on our product there's a lot of similarities in the model of Uber, where you have a workforce that gets alerted on demand to help customers. They were moving into food, which is also my background of doing Chef Nightly before this. So there's definitely parallels in how we think of building the platform. You know, I think there's a whole bunch of stuff of Uber that has nothing to do with with our, our product and our branding and, and how we're building this company, but there's a lot of pieces that are very similar. and. I remember having a couple of phone conversations where I was like, my word, like she's clearly going to get picked up by a, you know, a big company and, and be in this very important role. You know, I think we, we spent more time with a bunch of other candidates trying to figure out exactly what it was. We started discovering, you know, we didn't just need somebody to work on the messaging on our website. There's a whole lot of other gaps that we didn't even know we weren't doing. And then she came back from, you know, honeymoon and the jury duty. And we had a conversation now more equipped with what we were looking for. And I think we spent a whole lot of time making sure that our culture and our missions were going to line up someone that was coming from Uber. You know, I think we were still in the sense of looking at the news articles that were coming out at the time about Uber and thinking like, that's not the culture that we want to build here. And then meeting someone like her that shared the same values, the same mission that we were going after, but just had this unbelievable experience and knowledge of how to do you know, branding and how to launch a brand and how to understand what's going to work, what's not going to work. And she just loved the product that we were building and the mission. And I think it was just the right timing for her to join a company like ours. And so she joined. And I remember messaging on Slack to the team like, I don't know. I doubt we're going to get somebody like her, but we did. <laughs> and and right away, it sort of, you know, our expectations of what she would do were, you know, I think very narrow from what we, what we ended up getting. She's come in and, you know, done a whole lot of things, like literally just started going through every message that we've ever put out 
you know, how do we describe ourselves in podcasts? Like, how do we describe ourselves when I'm just casually talking to people? Like, what was I saying our mission was in the interview? And then she'd go to our website and not see any of that. And so really took a step back. And I don't think took any edits on our website at all for a while. She just literally pulled everything in, did a whole lot of research and learning about what it is our product is competitors that are out in the market, what's what their messaging is, finding out what our voice is, and creating sort of a blueprint to work from, and then started rolling out strategies of how to implement this stuff. And it's just been amazing to see, you know, the startups that, that I've been a part of have all sort of done their marketing because we just kind of figured it out as we went. But to see someone who had sort of the polish to understand the proper forms and ways of going about this type of stuff and putting in those processes. It's just been an amazing learning for me to see, to see happen. A lot of times now I'm, I'm hesitant to, to even step in that realm of marketing because I don't want to like put any direction that we shouldn't be going in. I just kind of go like, Hey, here's the challenge. And then just let the the team go at it. That's just been an amazing experience to have around the team. Is your recurring appearance on giant robots smashing into other giant robots Bailey approved? It is. In fact, I tried to get her on this this episode. <laughs> so so I, I think it is uh, Bailey. Yeah, approved. I kiboshed it. I said that was cheating. And we, we wanted to hear about all your early struggles before she came on. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I'm just going to go and start. And that was part of this like little note I wrote of like, what am I going to talk about on today's podcast talking about marketing and all I wrote was marketing because everything I was doing I started looking through like her spreadsheets and how she's laid things out I'm like I can't do this I can't like (laughs) take I'm I'm gonna like take everything she's done and like present it here it's like well this is what I do I was like why don't we just get her on there you know I've had a similar experience working with Lindsay where you know everyone has their own domain areas of expertise and I think it's a common mistake, but particularly with like areas like sales and marketing to think that you can do it. Um, and you can, like, there's lots of companies that do, there's lots of founders that do, but then when you work with someone who's actually really experienced in that area, the level of thought and expertise that they're able to bring to it is you'd be like, Oh yeah, I was just pretending to do this before and they're really doing it. Yeah. I mean, that that's the experience of an entrepreneur, right? I mean, right. yeah, you just I, pretend to do the areas until you can hire someone else who, <laughs> who can actually do them. Exactly. And, and I think the longer you do it, you just have to realize that you're not an expert in anything. And before Nurse One wanted, and there was a, that moment of like, what am I doing next? I was like, my God, like, what is my skill set? Like, there isn't a skill set I do that I don't think that there's probably someone that's better at that specific skill set than I am. But that's, I guess the the experience of an entrepreneur is always finding people who are better at everything than, than you are. And, and as a whole, your team grows because you're doing that. One other thing I am curious if you or Bailey are thinking about is the concept of category creation, a hot topic in startups or kind of across industry. Do you have a new category to find? Are you thinking that's kind of a distraction? Have you talked about it at all? We haven't talked about category creation. I think about it all the time. Maybe it's just hard in in B2B to to define yourself as a new category because you have to find some spot in some budget somewhere that's already been created where you live. And if you're creating a new category, there's never going to be somebody to sell into who buys in that category because it didn't exist. And so 
the way, at least I think about it, is that the categories that we're in right now, you know, we, we talked to a nurse staffing company the other day, and I just heard halfway through the conversation that they, they were kind of like questioning whether or not we're a competitor. And I'm just like, oh my God, do we now have a competitor in nurse staffing? Like, <laughs> like we're not nurse staffing. Like, that's not what we do at all. And then, you know, we have conversations where people talk about AI chatbots and, oh, they're definitely a direct competitor. And I'm just like, my, my word, we're literally a direct competitor with everybody. And, and I think what it comes down to is we are essentially creating a new category. Like digital health is just growing so fast that right now, I think everybody just paints it with this broad brush of telemedicine. And I think with a couple of big companies that are going public, like Amwell and a couple other ones, you'll look at what they do and you look at what we do. And it's hard to say that we're doing anything like them. In fact, we're not doing anything at all like them. But yet, I guess we're telemedicine and, and they are too. But I think just as the market matures, it starts to become more defined in these subcategories. And then those subcategories become the category. Uh, and then subcategories of that emerge. And so, you know, for us to take a stance and say that we are creating this new category at our stage would take a big effort for us to get that marketing out of defining what the category is and then defining why we are that piece of that category. It's just a huge challenge. Maybe we should be going in and doing that, but we've never actually had that conversation of whether or not we're defining a new category or not. It is a lot of work. That's one of the things we talked about in the episode with Lindsay and I is is how, you know, it's a popular strategy, but it is a lot of work. Yeah. It, it's hard to find who's going to buy it. You know, I think maybe direct consumer is easier because you, you know, yeah. consumers don't necessarily have budgets that they're going off of, but in B2B. You, you create a new category, you now have to convince an entire company of why they should change their budget. And that's, that's a huge challenge. Yeah, I've experienced that as well. Spending so much time on defining a new category and then going to enterprise companies and it's like, well, there's no line item for that thing that, you know, you <laughs> exactly. just made up. And then you're like, well, okay, so now sales is having a conversation where we're like, well, we're kind of like this other thing. However, the whole marketing is we're nothing like that thing. You know, this is like way different than that. Don't compare us to that. Yeah. yeah. So it it is really tricky, maybe even more so than the idea of like changing brand that is around like what's opportunity versus cost of like really pouring time into this. And is this the right time? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've heard our customers start to use different wording describing what we are and you know, I don't know if those are new categories or not, but I think eventually I'll let somebody else create the, the branding of the category and then maybe we'll explain why we're good at that. But I, I do think there is a new category emerging within digital health that we fit nicely into. It's just I'm probably waiting for somebody else to define it and then we'll we'll just follow along with, with that branding. <laughs> cool. Michael, as always, thanks for stopping by and, and sharing all of your insights on the topic at hand. Uh, if people want to find out more about Nurse One One or follow along with you, where's the best places for them to do that? We have a, a great Instagram account, which is Nurse One One. Uh, if anybody's interested in finding out uh, health topics that are interesting, you know, there's always our website, nurse11.com, and that's nurse one one. So I like 911 is our, our branding there. And, you know, I'm always available too on, on Twitter, and that's Michael Sheely. Great. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. 
You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. And me on Twitter at lindsay3d. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.